What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Always Working, aka Beatrice Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 111, season three of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, fun day, August 7th, 2022, man. Last episode, we discussed whether obesity is your fault or not. And then we also talked about whether we are in an economic recession or not. So you can go back to episode 110 in the feed and you can listen to that in case you missed it. Today, I want to start things off by talking about seven exercise myths. And then we're going to get into the world of finance and we're going to talk about buying businesses, fractional pieces of businesses via the stock market. But first and foremost, we got to get into the health portion because, I mean, you can have all the wealth in the world, but if you don't have health, you can't enjoy any of that wealth. So let's get into it. Seven exercise myths. Number one, you can target your fat burn. No, you cannot. So some people think that one of the one of the biggest myths um, that you can specifically burn fat, like in specific parts of your body. No, you cannot do that. That's not how the body works. Um, yes, you will have body parts or areas where you will see results a lot sooner. And that might be because there's just less fat tissue in those areas. Um, for example, um, on myself, when I start to get really lean, I notice a lot of vascularity, um, and just thinness in my forearms. That's not to say that, oh yeah, I do some forearm workouts and then I just burn the fat from there first. No, it's just a thinner layer of skin. There's not as much body fat there in general. Um, for most individuals, their stomach obviously the core section is something that everybody wants to target off top because of course that's where a lot of people have issues getting off the last you know little bits of of body fat that are there but there's no there's no exercise that you can do there is no diet that you can that you can uh that you can have to where you can only get rid of body fat in one area the body fat is going to come off in whatever natural way that your body gets rid of fat when you're engaged in a lot of cardiovascular uh, exercising and just eating clean and having a nutritious um, meal plan. Yeah, your body's going to burn fat the way that it just naturally burns fat. You can't control your genetics. So wherever the fat comes off, that's where it comes off. There's no spot reduction. You can't. Nah, that doesn't exist. Um you exercise consistently and you eat clean consistently, your body will burn the fat. It'll fall off wherever it falls off. Myth number two for the women. So ladies, pay attention. Number two, lifting weights, lifting heavy weights makes you bulk up. Wrong. Lifting heavy weights does not make you bulk up. 
All right, ladies. So, um, you know, I've had some, 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 I mean, obviously most of my clients from the past were females, but one of the things they always talked about was, oh, I want to get rid of my arm fat. I want to get rid of my arm fat. I want to get rid of my arm fat. How do I get rid of my arm fat? Um, you, you, you lift weights. And if you lift heavy enough weights, your arms are not, you're not going to have arms, uh, you know, like a, like a, like a 200 pound bodybuilder. That's not how that works. So one of the benefits of lifting weights is an increase in your metabolism, meaning that your body is going to expend more energy which means it's going to burn and utilize more calories in order for you to perform whatever exercise you're performing in regards to weight training or resistance training. So it, you're going to have more of an ability to burn fat once you begin to build momentum in regards to consistently lifting weights over time. But especially for women, you're not going to get bulky. Women have lower levels of testosterone. Okay. You guys have a lot more estrogen. So because of that, you don't have the ability to to bulk up or get super muscular looking. No, when when you lift weights, especially for the ladies, you're going to get extremely toned. Your 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 body's going to tighten up um, and you're going to firm up and build up the muscle that you already have. But it's not going to make you bulky. It's just not. That's not how it works. And that's because of the hormones um, that you naturally have in your body. Man, we have testosterone, so it's it's that that hormone literally is a part of us being able to build muscle, build strength, um, you know, have aggression, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why we're able to build a lot more muscle tissue when we do lift weights. That's naturally how our bodies are designed. Um, so yeah, man, you're not you're not gonna get super bulky if you lift weights, especially if you're um a lady and you're trying to get into the gym and just get your body right. You can lift heavy weights. You'll be fine. You're going to tone up. You're going to tighten up. You're not going to get bulky. So myth number three, crunches are best for core. No, 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 no. Crunches, they help to, to build the muscular endurance in your core. Um, crunches or sit-ups. Um, yes. Do they, do they help? a little bit with burning some body fat around the stomach area. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that that's the main culprit. So two of the main things for burning body fat around your core or getting a tight core is doing more cardio and cleaning up your diet. So if you have really clean eating and you do a lot of cardio, you're going to burn more fat around the body, uh, around the stomach, around the core. Um, now, once you burn that body fat around your stomach, it's up to you to do core workouts, do sit-ups, do crunches, do planks, um, do hanging leg raises in order to sculpt the, the, the muscle that's already there. You already have, however your abs develop, they're already there. Your genetics already gave you that off top. It's just a matter of you having a clean enough diet and you doing enough cardio over time to be able to reveal the abs that you have because you already have them there. It's not like you don't have muscles in your stomach at all and then you start doing crunches and now you have muscles and now you burn body fat that way. No, 
um, you want to be in a calorie deficit. So you need to be eating less calories over time and you need to be burning more calories, more calories than you consume. So it's all about energy expenditure throughout the day and eating clean. So if you're doing a lot of cardio and you're eating clean consistently over time, your body is going to burn off excess body fat. Um, and then over time, of course, some of that body fat is going to decrease around the gut area or around, around your core. But that is going to be because you're consistently doing cardio and because you're consistently eating clean. It's not, oh, because you're doing a thousand sit-ups. You could do a thousand sit-ups all day. If you do a thousand sit-ups, you know, every other day, but you eat like shit and you don't do enough cardio, you're still going to have a gut, period. Going into myth number four, exercise can erase a bad diet. No, it cannot. The thing that can help to fix your your diet is discipline. Okay? So exercise, you can, again, this ties into number three. You could do all the exercising in the world. If you don't eat clean enough, you're not, your results are are going to plateau. You're going to get to a certain level to where you just, you look the same. If you want to look different, if you want to see physical changes, you are going to have to eat clean. You cannot exercise your way to a sexy or slim physique. You got to eat your way to a sexy and slim physique on top of doing a lot of cardio. And then you can add in some resistance training or some weight training too. But yeah. And I was I was guilty of this in the past. Um and some of you guys know this personally, but I was I was a low I was a low chunky bull in high school. I always trained. Um I kept a pretty consistent workout routine, but my eating was not clean for the longest time. I really didn't get as disciplined with my diet. So I was just like an in shape fat person or chunky boy, if that makes sense. Like I had, my thing was this, I could run, you know, four or five miles nonstop. I could lift, you know, some semi heavy weights. Um, you know, I could keep up with a few athletic people, but if I would take my shirt off back in the day, you'd be like, Whoa, this guy does all this training, but he still looks like crap because my diet was not intact. All the training I did, it didn't help as far as like the aesthetic, as far as the look, because my eating was still nasty, sloppy. I wasn't really taking care of my internal organs and my insides. So yeah, man, if you think you're going to outwork a bad diet, you're not going to do it. You can consume way more calories than you can burn in a day. If you ever get on a treadmill, if you ever get on an exercise bike, if you ever have a Fitbit or or um, or a smartwatch or an Apple Watch, go do a one hour run, um, or just track your track your exercise bike workout, and you look at how many calories that you burn, and then go to whatever fast food restaurant, or go to even if you go to like a a Luna Grill, which is like a healthier Mediterranean style type restaurant, or whatever. And look at how many calories are in some of these meals. It's very, 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 very easy to overeat. Um, and that's the issue that a lot of people have. They think because they're, oh, well, I eat healthy. So, 
you know, I should be good. I should be losing weight. And it's like, not necessarily because how many calories are you burning throughout the day? You know, it's all about, you know, calories in, calories out, energy expenditure. Like you have to burn enough calories um, to where, again, your body's not storing every single calorie that you eat. You want to you want to utilize some of that for, you know, energy and some of the micronutrient uh, nutritious aspects of it. But after that, you want to expose or get rid of the excess calories that your body doesn't need. Um, and to do that, you need to be burning enough calories throughout the day. So, yeah, I don't care if you do. You could do CrossFit. If you eat like shit, it's just not going to work out. Or if you eat too much, because I'm sure there's CrossFitters out there who eat, you know, not not as clean as they should or, or whatever. Or maybe they have like high fat diets. I don't know, in regards to like keto or something, whatever the case may be, but they're burning so many calories throughout the day that the food that they eat, um, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't stick around the food that they eat, their body uses, utilizes it for, for energy and nutrients. And it gets rid of the rest because they're constantly burning calories. Um, so don't be fooled if you see somebody who's extremely fit and they're eating, you know, donuts or pizza or cookies but they're in shape. It's just like, well, how does that work? It works because they are busting their ass in the gym and burning so many calories, but also their appetites are not as large. So they're able to kind of nibble on, on BS, but even still that stuff shows up on the scale or shows up in the mirror. So yeah, you cannot out eat or out train. You cannot out train a bad diet. Getting into uh, myth number five, when you stop uh, when you stop strength, uh, yeah, when you stop weight training, your muscles turn into fat. Wrong. When you stop weight training over time, your muscle mass will decrease and your metabolism will begin to slow down. Um, so that's another like, that's another thing that people have to keep in mind. When you begin a workout routine and you start to build momentum, you need to stick with the program. You need to stick with the training. You need to stick with the eating because over time, your body is going to adapt to that. Your body is going to learn how to burn calories faster or just more optimally because you're doing different types of workouts consistently and because you're eating cleaner foods, your body will constantly adapt to that, which means your metabolism will start to speed up. Um, especially if you're engaged in cardiovascular endurance as well as lifting weights. Um, because again, building muscle tissue over time through weight training is also going to boost your metabolism because you will burn more calories throughout the day naturally because you have a lot more muscle tissue on your body. So yeah, over time, if you, if you stop strength training or you stop lifting weights, yes, your muscles will will start to decrease, um, whether it's the size or the hardness of your muscles. Um, and then of course, yeah, your metabolism, your metabolism will slow down because um, one, of the, one of the ways to boost your metabolism is to engage in weight training. And then of course, muscle being heavier than fat, it's just like... Um, that that's that's a part of the reason why you want to consistently weight train um so that you can keep 
a faster metabolism or you can just improve your metabolism, not necessarily making it faster, but just improving it. Um, so again, your body is functioning at a more optimum level. Um, going into myth number six, you need to spend hours in the gym in order to build your physique. No, you do not. Um, 30 to 40 minute workouts, three times a week, four times a week will do the trick. Assuming that they're intense and assuming that you're engaging in the proper, uh, just the proper types of exercises, the proper types of warmups and cool downs, getting enough rest, getting enough sleep, getting proper supplementation. You know, as long as your eating is consistent and you're drinking enough water, 30 to 40 minutes a few times a week, you know, three, four times a week. And then uh, just as a rule of thumb, there's um, there's some research out there that suggests that 150 minutes per week of moderate to intense exercise is plenty to have you be in a healthier, uh, just at a healthier level overall, you know, for your health and wellness. So 150 minutes per week, um, if, 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 if you can get that, which there's 24 hours in a day you know, seven days in a week, 365 days a year, like you can, you can sacrifice 150 minutes a week, um, to increase your, your overall health and wellness and increase your life expectancy. And then getting into myth number seven, which honestly, I'm not going to front. I've, I've, I've been, you know, I've fallen prey to this myth for a very, very long time. And even to this day, like to this day, die in my Deontay Wilder voice. Like I still do this and it ain't even right. And I know it ain't right, but I still do it because I'm habit bound. But number seven, stretching before exercise. Like, yo, it's not as effective. Um, which even saying it out loud to me sounds crazy, but yeah, it's better to actually stretch after you train because your muscles are warmer and a lot more relaxed. So if you think about a rubber band, is it easier to stretch a brand new rubber band or is it easier to stretch a, a moderately used, worn worn down rubber band? I would probably say the latter. If there's a rubber band that's slightly used, a little bit more worn down, has a longer longer shelf life, you know, for lack of a better term, you're going to be able to stretch that one a lot further before it snaps. Brand new, brand new uh, rubber band. It's very rigid. It's very like uh, just tough. So pulling on it, pulling on it, yanking on it, yanking on it. It's it's going to have a higher probability of snapping because it's not worn down yet. Um, so same thing goes with your muscles. Honestly, which is why I am a proponent of having a very long warm-up routine especially nowadays um as I get older but yeah I like to be like you know dripping sweat damn near by the time I actually start my real workout because again that's going to allow my muscles to really get warmed up and heated up so that when I do engage in the more intense workouts I'm not pulling muscles um, or straining muscles or, or just getting other types of injuries because I'm a lot more warmed up. So I'm more fluid. And again, your muscles are going to stretch a lot easier once you're already engaged in moderate or to intense exercising. So yeah, um, stretching before you exercise is not really the best idea. But honestly, I'm not going to lie. I still stretch before I work out. 
But now I try to engage in more dynamic stretching, which basically is like you're you're stretching, but you're you're engaged in certain types of movements or just like you're you're doing like certain types of reps. Some of it is kind of like yoga style mixed in with calisthenics to where you're not doing any static stretching. So with that, you're you're able to heat up because you're you're able to burn more calories because you're moving around a lot more, but you're you're not fully stretched out. Um, that way, you can kind of start to build up the body temperature, get the body heat going, and then obviously your muscles will get more relaxed, more warmed up over time, and then you'll be able to stretch a lot easier. Which is why you should have a lot longer of a warm up um, before you begin exercising, so that you can fully stretch. But yeah, man. Um, those are the seven exercise myths that, um, that I wanted to break down real quick. So hopefully you got something useful out of those tips. Um, if you did make sure you download rate, comment and subscribe to the podcast. Um, so yeah, moving on to the finance portion of this episode. Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get back to some of the basic ideas in regards to why people buy stocks or why an individual would buy stocks um, and just some of the, the intricacies of that. So before I begin that, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I don't know anything about anything. Do not listen to me. Um, this is just for educational purposes only um, and informational purposes only. So, yeah, do your own research. Anyway, getting into it, why buy stocks? Why would a person buy stocks? So when I think of that question, I think about this. Money under your mattress versus money fully invested in a group of businesses via the stock market. So I've actually kind of done a small experiment. Um, and basically what I did was... I had two piles of money. One pile of money, obviously, I put under the mattress, aka in a savings account. So every time I would make money, I put money into that savings account. Then I had another account, and that was an investment account, aka a brokerage account, a tax brokerage account. I used that to buy businesses via the stock market. And what I am noticing over time, especially the longer that I do this, is that my investment account is starting to outpace my savings account. So how is that possible? And it's very, very simple. It's much easier to automate capital into a brokerage account versus having to work hard for every single dollar and physically going to the bank and putting that money into an account. So that is one reason why a person would buy stocks because they appreciate or they gain value faster than going to work, making the money, um, cashing your check or depositing your check into your account and then transferring some of that money into a savings account versus buying small fractional pieces of businesses and having those businesses work for you. So your dollars are working for you when you're awake, when you're sleeping, when you're working, when you're on vacation, whatever you're doing, 
these corporations are working and they're trying to increase their value, which in turn, if you have a percentage of that business in your stock portfolio, your stocks are going to appreciate in value um, relative to that business's success. If the business fails, your account is your account's going to fail. Your account is going to go down in value. Um, so I want to get a little bit more into some of the details as to why an individual would buy stocks. So basically what's going on right now in the economy is a perfect example as to why an individual would buy stocks. Because right now, when you look at inflation, it is eating away at every single dollar you make, every single dollar you save and every single dollar you spend. The purpose of investing in productive assets via stocks, bonds, and ETFs is the preservation of capital. And the other purpose of buying stocks is also to hedge or protect yourself against inflation. So what does that all mean? When you invest your money into businesses... These businesses are working hard and they're doing everything that they can possibly do to increase their value as a company. Now, if it's a successful company and they're increasing their value over time and you own a percentage of that, your investment is going to increase in value over time because of that. And there's thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of people working to increase that investment that you have because they're trying to make money for the company um, and just be more successful. So that is, again, this is another reason why a person would buy stocks because it's going to, it's going to help you to preserve or save or hold on to the money that you already have. But it's also going to allow you to make more money over time especially when the prices of goods and services are rising a lot faster than 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 is normal. So right now inflation is at 9.1%. So what is a way that you would be able to to earn 9.1% on your money? If you put it in a savings account, you're not even going to get 1% interest. If you invest your money in a certificate of deposit, aka a bank CD, you're lucky if you get a half a percent. What else? You know, there's there's uh there's there's debt securities, um there's treasury securities. So if you buy treasury bonds, treasury notes, treasury bills, um again, the percentages are going to vary depending on what type of treasury securities you're buying, um what type of bonds you're buying. You know, those markets, you got to do a lot more research and you really got to know what you're doing if you're buying, you know, different types of debt securities, et cetera, et cetera. In some instances, you might be able to get 9%, but that's if you're really, 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 really searching, you know, every nook and cranny of the bond market um, or just different debt securities. But one of the simplest ways to have the opportunity or possibility or probability of generating more than 9% interest on your money is by investing in stocks, individual stocks, or you can buy exchange traded funds, aka ETFs. Um, Because again, you're buying a piece of American businesses, you're buying a piece of corporate profits. 
And if the businesses that you buy do well over time, your investments will do well if you've bought in a, a percentage of those businesses, um, which gives you an opportunity to earn more more than the rate of inflation. Assuming you're just like a badass investor and you're really like in tune with, you know, how the process works, because, yeah, it isn't just putting your money in and then boom, it, it works over time. There's a lot of intricacies. There's a lot of, you know, you know, details and just things that you need to do and not do. But it just depends on the on the person. It depends on the individual. It depends on your time horizon. It depends on your budget. It depends on your risk tolerance. And it depends on various other risk factors. Um, but yeah. What else is here? Um, I'm looking at I'm looking at some notes here. So basically, another reason why a person would buy stocks as opposed to just saving money is as a consumer, you don't control the prices that you pay for products and goods. Businesses have pricing power. So what does that mean? It essentially means that if the cost of raw material and manufacturing rise, the business can can increase the, the prices of their products and pass it on to consumers like me and you. And because of that, that creates inflation. That's a part of what creates inflation. Um, because again, if it costs a business more money to buy and sell goods to consumers, they're going to raise their prices. And if they're going to raise their prices, that is going to diminish or decrease your purchasing power. So a way to hedge or protect against uh, a decrease of purchasing power is putting your money into stocks or buying small small fractional pieces of businesses over time. Because again, those businesses are going to generate enough income over time, assuming that it's a successful company and you've done all the research that you needed to do, you'll start to generate a higher rate of return. Um, depending again, depending on your time horizon, your investment philosophy and strategies, depending on your risk tolerance, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, um, as consumers, we might be able to buy generic products, um, if the prices are a lot higher just to try to save money, we can also wait to buy a product at a lower price, which who knows how long that could take. Or again, you could just buy businesses via the stock market. Um, and you can buy businesses that have pricing power because again, during inflationary times, like right now, a lot of companies are increasing the prices of their products. And we, as consumers, we still have to buy these products. We still rely on these products, you know, to just to go go through life. We have to buy gas. We have to pay rent. We have to pay our mortgages. Um, we have to, you know, buy electricity or gas or, you know, whatever other, you know, we have to buy food. We're not going to stop buying those things because the prices go up. So what is a way to kind of help negate the the decrease in purchasing power it's to buy stocks to buy small pieces of businesses that are publicly traded because over time again a lot of those businesses they're going to transfer the higher manufacturing cost onto us the consumers and we can't do nothing about that other than not buy anything but we have to buy stuff so again it it could be ideal it might be ideal 
to take some of your capital and invest it in some of these businesses that you already utilize on a daily basis. So, yeah, saying all of that, I want to get into a few uh, stats that I found uh, just conducting some research. So, according to a Motley Fool article by Jack Corporal or Cap Caporal, 56% of American adults own stocks. Families hold an average of $25,000 in stocks. The wealthiest 10% of Americans hold 89% of stocks, which are worth $35.87 trillion with a T. And then uh, white Americans own 90% of stocks, which are worth $36.15 trillion. African-Americans, as of 2021, only own 1.1% of stocks, which are only worth $450 billion. Um, so once again, looking at these stats, this is why a person would buy stocks. Because again, the top 1%, the top 10%, they own damn near all of the stocks. And what do you think those stocks are doing over time? They are appreciating in value, a.k.a. they're they're earning more on that money that they've invested in those businesses via the stock market. So it's protecting them during times like now when inflation is extremely high, when it is inflation is 9.1 percent. Some of those investments, some of those stocks are earning 10, 20, 30, 40 percent, depending on, you know, when they bought when they bought the stock or what price they bought it at or how long they've been holding it. But man, it's just like, really? We only own 1.1% of stocks as of 2021? Like, can we get with the program? Like, man, you know? It's like, oh, generational wealth this, and I'm trying to do this for my family, that, blah, 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 blah. Well, are you, are you buying enough stocks to ensure that the wealth is passed down over time? Because if you're not, you're losing. We are losing as a community. So we've got to get in tune with what the 1% are doing, what the rich people are doing, what the top 10% are doing. They're investing a lot of their money in the stock market because, again, over time, these businesses are going to work extremely hard day and night to try to increase the value of their companies. They're going to try to sell more products. And if you own a piece of their profits, your investments will increase in value over time. Which again, during times like right now when inflation is extremely high, the money that you save in a tax brokerage account, it will appreciate over time if American businesses are doing well. But it all depends on so many different things. It depends on a lot of different things. Um, so don't take my word for it. But yeah, you can look up the stats yourself. Again, 56% of American adults own stocks. Families hold an average of $25,000 in stocks. The wealthiest 10% of Americans hold 89% of stocks, which are worth $39.87 trillion. White Americans own 90% of stocks worth $36.15 trillion. African Americans, as of 2021, only own 1.1% of stocks worth $450 billion. Like, let that sink in. We only own 1.1% of stocks. And we wonder why we're constantly in at the bottom of the totem pole. 
We need to continue to acquire productive assets, assets that appreciate in value over time. A Gucci purse, a Louis bag, that's not going to appreciate in value over time. It's just a piece of, it, of of leather or whatever. Like, man, no, you need to be buying. We should be, we should be buying stocks. Those are one of the things we should be doing as well as trying to build businesses, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, the, the main thing was why buy stocks? And one of those reasons, of course, is to fight against inflation so that your money will continue to appreciate or grow in value over time. Um, because yeah, putting money under your mattress, you're going to have to make a dollar. Every single time you make a dollar, you got to go, go to work for eight hours or go to work for an hour, make that dollar, put it under your mattress, go back to work, make another dollar, put it under your mattress, go to work again, you know, day after day after day after day, you got to pay taxes on the money that you make. So that's taking away some of your money. You have to buy, you know, just everyday products, everyday items. That's another thing that's taken away from some of the money that you can put away, but just only putting it in a savings account or in a checking account, it's not going to be enough to be able to create generational wealth. It's just not. Like I said, the wealthiest 10% of Americans own 89% of stocks. They own 89%. We only own 1.1% as an African-American community. Like, what is we doing? No, we have to buy more stocks over time. Luckily, we're able to buy fractional shares. We don't need... Uh, $10,000 to buy stocks. But over time, you can increase your uh, your brokerage account to 10000 20000 30000 You know, the longer you continue to buy stocks and build up that portfolio over time. But another thing too is we got to be willing to do the research as well. Um, and we also have to be willing to be patient too. But um, yeah, man, when these prices of, of everyday products start increasing... One of the ways to fight against these price increases is owning is owning productive assets, a.k.a. buying stocks, a.k.a. owning small fractional pieces of American businesses that appreciate over time. Assuming that the business is is productive, assuming that the business has a, a sustainable competitive advantage, assuming that the business has high uh, high profit margins, Assuming that the business doesn't have as much debt as the average business, et cetera, et cetera, and all types of other nonsense. But yeah, man, get with the program if you're not with the program. 1.1% is, is devastating, um, and it just goes to show why there's an, uh, 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 why the wealth gap is extremely large. Um, we, we have to diminish the wealth gap. We have to narrow the wealth gap for sure, um, and, and one of the ways to do that is... Is through the stock market, of course, aka buying fractional pieces of American businesses. So yeah, man, that is that. Um, so we're gonna be back at it again very soon. Hopefully, you got something useful out of this episode. If you did, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way, man. You already know who it is. I'm not gonna say it again. I'm out.